0: You are listening to episode number 56 of the Fit Successful Dad podcast. You know, a lot of times people hear... Especially nowadays, the word entrepreneur, and they find out about maybe someone running their own business or running their own brand. And, you know, they're traveling all the time and they're talking to like some high visibility people. Maybe they sell a physical product and you start to see that physical product in a store like a retail store or something, and people who aren't in that world might think that that person has it made, uh, you know, like financially, like they have no problems because everything is just going so well, right? And that the business is going so well, you know, how it looks from the outside, and their clientele is just growing and growing and growing, and they have the appearance that everything, even on a personal level, is going just amazingly well. Well, as some of us know, most of us probably, maybe even all of us here listening to this, that is not the case, and entrepreneurship is hard, and nothing is certain. Things aren't always as good or as bad as they seem. It's uh, it's kind of an emotional game, and even though things look great sometimes from an outsider's perspective, uh, there's there can be a challenge there that going on that is like, you know, potentially on the verge of crippling a business. This happens all the time. And uh, today's guest is with someone who's been through it all, uh, a serious emotional roller coaster throughout uh, some of his entrepreneurial endeavors. And his name is Peter Gaska. And I had an opportunity to speak with him for a long time. He's a really great guy. He's a writer for Inc. and Entrepreneur Magazine. And he has his own website. He's also the author of a book called One Million Frogs. And he talks about uh, the the reason why it's called that. And uh, he gets into in the interview a little bit about why uh, why he wrote the book and what it really entails. And he's also a husband and a father of two kids and he currently lives in South Carolina. And he's got a lot going on. Um, he's not currently running any businesses. He has plans to potentially build a new business or multiple businesses in the future. Uh, but right now he's focused on writing and he's also involved as a director and in a uh, professor role at Coastal Carolina University. So he's got a lot going on. He's, he's raising his kids and he's, he's kind of enjoying his family right now. Uh, But as someone who has been through it all and seen success and eventually selling a company and gone through all the hard times and good times of that whole uh, business world and and entrepreneurship world, uh, he has some really, really interesting and really cool insights. Uh, So without further ado, I'm going to turn this interview over to the one and only Peter Gaska. Okay, we are back here with Peter Gaska. Peter, my man, how are you doing today? Great, Gordon. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm super excited to have this conversation. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. We're going about four months now, so pretty stoked. Um, Listen, before we unpack uh, the One Million Frogs, Wild Creations, all the cool stuff that you've done and all the cool stuff that you got coming up, why don't you just tell everybody a little bit about uh, who you are and what has you excited right now?
1: Sure. Uh, yeah. So I I'm originally a product of the West Coast. I'm I'm based in South Carolina right now, but um, grew up on the West Coast. Originally from Los Angeles, spent the vast majority of my life working in corporate America, nine to five jobs. I had worked in home building for a while. Um, I got very lucky and was accepted to a, a great graduate program at Georgetown University in D.C. So I one of the early you know quit my great paying job to take a chance. Uh, situations was going back to graduate school at a time when the home building industry was blowing up on the West Coast. So, uh, you know, again, got very lucky, I think, to get in. So I, I went to graduate school. After graduate school, I had the opportunity to take a job overseas with a project for the uh, United States Agency for International Development, USAID, and uh, moved overseas for about three years. Originally, I was going to be there for about six months, but fell in love with the, the culture living in Central Asia having access to you know great travel opportunities um, was getting paid very well um, by the project I was working on but there was something unfulfilled I felt inside me and luckily I had met uh, a friend of mine over there on that project and him and I would go out and we would drink beer and we would eat we would eat Georgian pizza and we would sit there around these tables and talk about like, we're, we're all we're doing is consulting other businesses and telling them how to run their business. Why aren't we running our own business? And uh, we did that for about a year, him and I, and eventually uh, there's a lot of things that were, a lot of, a lot of catalysts that went into it, but our project ended, we ended up moving back to uh, the United States. Um, I moved to South Carolina because uh, he was from Charleston, had a lot of connections here and I didn't, I, mean, I didn't have a lick of furniture to my name, so it was easy for me to uproot and plant somewhere. And we decided to start a business in South Carolina. The problem was, we didn't. We we I I I don't know whether we weren't just creative enough, but we didn't have any really good ideas. So we wanted to buy a business. And originally, our goal was to create a a holdings company similar to the Berkshire Hathaway model, which is we had consulted many businesses. We had graduate degrees. We had plenty of connections to money through the foreign state department. Uh, Although, you know, a lot of the the foreign state diplomats and expatriates don't, they make a lot of money, but they don't spend a lot of money. So we were going to tap into that industry, go buy undervalued businesses, put in all of these great turnaround tools, and then sell them off. You know, so we had a whole game plan. And go figure. We got to South Carolina, wrote an amazing business plan, had everything ready to go, but nobody was willing to give two inexperienced entrepreneurs a lot of money to do this. So we decided to buy our first. We decided just to buy the first company that we had uh, with our own money. And so we looked at everything. We looked at everything from pest control to roofing to dead body removal. Uh, it's a funny story, the dead body removal. I'll, I'll digress just a little bit because the, the dead body removal company was an amazing company. It was tremendous cash flow. Basically what happens in all the Carolinas on the East Coast is if you hit a tree, and I don't mean to sound blunt and terrible about this, but this is basically the way it was described to me. It was like if you hit a tree in the middle of the night, you know, the coroner and the police don't come remove your body. This Company does, and they had a monopoly on all of this uh, across the Carolinas. Great cash flow, amazing cash flow, and the guy wanted to retire. And we got, we got in, we got to the negotiating table with this gentleman, and he was really excited. He's like, "You guys are young, you're ambitious, you're hungry. I love that. This is exactly what this business needs. So let's talk some nuts and bolts." And I'm sitting there with my computer, typing up numbers on my computer, <laughs> and. He says, "You know, the one thing he's like, I, I am so excited to take you guys out on your first call. This is going to be great." And that's when the realization hit me. Wait a minute.
0: Yeah, I got to remove a body.
1: <laughs> I'm gonna have to go out and remove body. I, I'm just, I, I'm just want to be the back operations guy. I'm gonna run the business. I'm gonna write the checks and balance the books. And, and then when we left, we kind of had that conversation of, you know, when Joe and Jane don't call in sick for work on a Saturday night. It's me and you, bud, and I am not going out there and removing somebody off of a tree. And so, but yeah, anyway, so we that one didn't go through. I mean, we got all again. We were ready to sign papers and just basically backed out. And I kind of regret it too because, like again, it was great cash flow. But so,
0: so I I would just stop you right there for a second. Sure. Uh, two questions. One, what is yeah. it? What does it cost to remove a body from a uh, an accident?
1: I I don't I you know because it, everything's charged through the city. And so we never really got down into the per, we, we got into the bottom line, you know, what are our profits, what is our margin and the number of calls. And, you know, it goes up and down depending on the weekend, depending on the holiday. Um, and uh, they, you know, it's not a private thing. So they charged the city and they kind of kept that confidential until we, uh, until we made the leap. But again, I mean, the margins on these, this guy's company were, you know, they were making 30, 40%, um, after, all of their admin and overhead. So it was just a matter of like who was going to take it and expand it into other states, other counties. Uh, so yeah, but no, <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. I don't care how much money it made. I when I looked at when I looked at the asset list, one of the assets they listed were scrapers, and that was the word scrapers. The number of scrapers they had, and the only thing you could you know you could derive from that was Okay, I guess they use scrapers <laughs> when they yeah. remove bodies.
0: And uh, the mental yeah, images, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. So luckily, luckily, and I again, I don't mean to digress, but I listened to a, a podcast uh, shortly after that about a company that removes bodies and all the things that go into when you find somebody who's been in an apartment for two weeks and they are just discovered and all the oh, hazmat man. that you have to go through. Yeah, so anyway, didn't work out. Um, so we we I was introduced to this family in Myrtle Beach, and they had a, uh, an aquarium company. Basically what they made were these little ecosystem habitats with two African dwarf frogs. And these are little tiny little aquatic frogs that stay in the water. And this aquarium was built so it n- really never needed cleaning. And again, great cash flow, big margins, um, was very interested in it. And uh, through a lot of negotiating and going to trade shows, it really turned out this was the atypical business case study. Great product. Nobody else does it. They have tremendous tremendous challenges with distribution. And that's exactly what our forte was. Like how do we get into a business, put in the systems in place to be able to turn it around. And this was the perfect business for it. So we bought the business. And it was, it was fairly inexpensive. Um, had to take out some loans. But you know we bought it. I relocated to Myrtle Beach, bought an apartment down here. We started running it. And that was March 2007. So fast forward just six, seven, eight months later. You know, uh, Lehman Brothers files bankruptcy. Oh, yeah. Banks call us back and say, you know, that line of credit we gave you at the beginning (laughs) of the year? Yeah, we need that back and you need to pay back what you – you know, because we shouldn't have given it to you. So, so yeah, so we – yeah, we hit the skids and we – after a few months of really trying to, you know, scrape together money and cash – um, we decided we're just going to own this company. We're going to own it. We're going to give up the dream of the Berkshire Hathaway. We're just going to make this company work. We became the frog guys. <laughs> and so for the next seven years, we ran that frog business and, you know, did very well. Um, it wasn't easy. That's – that's we kind of I, – I, I lay out the progress of the business in One Million Frogs, the book, um, because it is the atypical entrepreneurial endeavor of – I mean everything from – you know, the depression and the anxiety to the accolades that we eventually kind of, we landed, it was,
0: it was, it was definitely an experience. Wow. Okay. So that, that all took place in, uh, yeah, you launched in 07 and then 08, 09 must have been obviously brutal. When did you start to see an uptick?
1: We, we had, um, it was probably, we were, we were, we, we, these frogs were hand delivered. Would, we would put them in a van and we would drive thousands of them all over the coast. Uh, we had a delivery driver. My business partner uh, at one point did deliveries up to Washington State driving back and forth. I mean it was a nightmare. And we knew we had to ship them but we didn't know how. And we didn't have the time. The the typical curse of being trapped in the business and not being able to work on it. So. Uh, we had this one company in, in Kansas uh, who it was a toy company of all places we we at the point at that time we were delivering to specialty stores gift shops pet stores and this toy company what i don't I, to be honest i i have no idea how we eventually started ship where we when we first started shipping to them but we were shipping to them Ill, not illegally but against the rules of fedex shipping we were packaging them in boxes and not telling them they had live frogs being shipped so shipping them, to, but she, and she couldn't keep these things on her shelf. She'd sell fifty or sixty a week. So every week it was, gosh, these things cannot stay on our shelves. Uh, can you ship us more? And we would drive down to the Walmart. We would go to the the back of the Walmart uh, uh, into their uh, trash dump, not the trash dump, just but their box depositories and steel boxes, package up boxes <laughs> with a bunch of you know. We'd steal all of the uh, packing material that we uh, got from there or that we had received. We were we were recycling everything. I love it. And we would ship it to her. And then finally she said, listen, why don't you guys – this is really – this is a great product for kids. Why don't you guys go to the toy fair in New York? It's a big toy fair. It turns out it's the second largest toy fair in the world, largest in North America. They do it every February. And and she said, I'll, I'll, I'll tell a few people about you. I'll have them, I'll have them come by your booth. So we couldn't really afford to go. So we pinched together some pennies. We stayed in New Jersey. You know, hightailed it in, registered late, got a booth on the bottom floor, and, and this is a huge, <laughs> this is a massive, massive trade show, and we're on the bottom, way back in the back. And our goal was, it's a three, it's a, it's a four-day show, and we said, listen, if we could just get ten or twenty customers, that in perpetuity, that will help us pay for this show. And day one, we had a hundred people come to our booth, and they were, you know, they were saying, you know, the gallon cans, she told us all about you. And we really want to, we really want the product. How do we get it? And at the time we didn't have, we, we didn't have a shipping process. So I literally am at the toy fair booth with my partner standing right behind me. I'm saying we ship in standard packages of 10. He's saying standard packages of 20. I'm saying shipping costs of 20 bucks. He's saying, he's saying free shipping cost. and we're fighting, you know, I mean, I hear him saying this, how like, you can't promise. Like, how what do you mean no shipping costs? How do you, we have no idea how much it's going to cost. And so we're quoting every, but most of these people didn't care. They were just like, you know, "Colleen, she was awesome. She told us all about it. Whatever. When you guys work it out, we'll come." So like day one hundred, we, we probably signed one hundred and fifty different accounts that day. And at that, at that show, we had, you know, that's the big show where everybody comes. Uh, Target buyers come, Walmart buyers come, and we had Brookstone buyers come by our booth. And Brookstone, they were very persistent. They said, "We want this product on our shelves. Can you guys ship?" And, of course, we're saying, yeah, wouldn't we really couldn't. But we ended up, after that show, driving up to the book, the, the, uh, the, their, their, uh, Brookstone, I'm sorry. Uh, we, we drove up to Brookstone's office up in Connecticut, sat down. This is after a four-day trade show. We're tired. We sit in their, their booth or their conference room, and they're filing people in, product designers, VP of sales, <laughs> distribution people. And they're like, we love this product. We love this product. Let's get down to numbers. You know, can you guys ship to a centralized warehouse with this product? Sure, we can. And no way we could. But we were, yeah, sure, sure. And I remember him saying like, well, let's get down to cost. So I open up my computer. We're on one side of the table. He's on the other. They're on the other side of the table. And I type in. I'm like, let me pull up a spreadsheet. I pull up a spreadsheet. And I type into the spreadsheet. So my business partner sits next to me a bunch of like question marks. Like, what the? What? I have no idea. So we. Throne. $25. And they counter. We go back and forth. And we finally agree on a price. And it was one of those situations where we had a 10-hour drive back to Myrtle Beach the following day. And we sat there in complete silence for almost 10 <laughs> hours, <laughs> contemplating what we had just committed to. 150 stores, a, a major retailer with 400, 500 stores. Like, how were we going to do it? And I mean, these are fantastic – I mean, any entrepreneur – would just dream of this. This is a great problem to have, right? Way too, like suddenly all these people want your product and you need to figure out how to make it work. Problem was we didn't have any money. We had a bunch of debts. Nobody was going to lend us money. And somehow we, we, we came back and we engineered it. We, you know, with the help of FedEx, we had a great FedEx rep who spent almost a month in our office helping us get our packaging set up, being a, a live animal certified shipper. Um, and, you know, we, we, it was painful and it was, dark time I don't remember much of it because it went by so fast but we we delivered and we were in Brookstone for about a year year and a half until they they had enough of it and and that's how we and basically is that and and we eventually sold the company we sold we got I got out of the business about uh, three years ago we sold it to another uh, conglomerate business and that was a nightmare and it's a whole different podcast but um, but the company still operates they still sell ecosystem habitats out there somewhere um, I see them every once in a while. I have students uh, who will come up to me at the university where I teach at and say, Hey, I saw this product. is it yours And I'm saying yeah mo- more than likely it is because nobody else produces this thing. but yeah, that's how that's that was the that was the impetus behind the 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 growth
0: wow that's is, that is so cool. I'm curious so going back to that that meeting with Brookstone in the conference room there and you got your laptop open and uh what 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 were you uh what were we trying to negotiate with and what what were you typing into that spreadsheet? Was that cost per product or shipping costs? Or like what well, were you guys doing?
1: You know, here's 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 a lesson for any entrepreneur out there. And this is this is, you know, I do a lot of mentoring and I do a lot of uh, uh, coaching for especially young entrepreneurs. Um, I always tell people like, listen, if it had if if it had not been for my business partner, we would not have done half the stuff we did because he was the type of guy who would in his gut say we can figure this out and I was the conservative one who always was like well I mean we can't even ship now I'm I don't want to tell them we can ship if we can't ship but he, he knew better and I always in this particular case there was a I remember about this time is when I kind of defaulted back to I think I want to be more like him like I don't want to be the conservative one because if we don't do anything we're never going to make any impact you know he's a he's the swing for the fence guy I was the singles guy and somewhere you have to find the middle term uh, where you know you swing for doubles once in a while and you have a 3-0 pitch and you need to swing for the fences like that type of analogy sorry for all your base- non-baseball listeners <laughs> who don't get that but you know there's a balance between the two and i mean it, it, it was a lot more complicated than than i make it out to be we sat there probably for several hours and a couple times and we we just you know we knew what our cost of our product was um, several times i had to walk out of the room and I had to call our plastics manufacturer, who was in Kentucky, get him on the phone. We owed him money, you know. We were already behind on payments, and I had to call him and say, "Listen, I need, I need several hundred thousand units, and I need like eight months to pay," you know. And how we negotiated that, you know, he 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 was very inclined not to do it, but I was like, "I'm at the Brookstone office right now. They want the product. They're on. They're they're projecting, you know, fifty hundred thousand units this winter alone." And i can't do that unless you advance me that line of credit you know and i'm just telling you right now we have a 90-day payment plan with them so you know if you can't advance me that i don't know i have to say no and it was you know entrepreneurship is about relationship building it's about building up your trust you know i had i had never told this vendor i was going to pay when i when i didn't pay if i was behind on a payment and he called I answered the phone, I spoke to him, and I said I can't pay you this week. I didn't say I'll pay you, don't worry about the checks in the in the mail. So he knew I never said anything that I didn't stand behind. And he was willing to he he God bless him, he he advanced us that line of credit. He got, you know, tens of thousands of dollars in debt with us and but it paid off. He eventually got paid. And he kept the business, and he still does the business. As a matter of fact, so, so yeah. There's, a, I mean, there's a lot more things that go into it for for your listeners. Like entrepreneurship is about just making things happen. Um, everything, again, these are great problems to have. When you have demand for a product, somebody wants it. Then, as long as you have the gall to be able to stick with it, you can make it happen. You can figure out how to make it happen, um, whether it's finding people to help you out, bringing on a partner, negotiating terms with a vendor. Uh, you know, the most important thing is just just keeping your word and, and sticking to it. So yeah, when I sat there with the, with the spreadsheet, we were just plugging in numbers and we, we knew approximately what it cost. We had no idea how to ship it. We It, you know, it turned out that we promised them we could ship. We didn't promise. We told them we could ship it to a central warehouse. We can't do that. You can't ship frogs to a central warehouse. So we uh, eventually helped them write up a plan so we would ship our part of the product to a warehouse and then we would actually drop ship frogs to all of their stores. Um, I'm not saying it was the most efficient, greatest way to do it, but it was the only way to do it. And, uh, you know, they, I know they made a ton of money. It was their best selling product that year behind their helicopters, ironically enough. So it was their number two best selling product. Wow. And it was, you know, it's, it's what put us on the map, really.
0: Yeah, that's, that's awesome. When you exited the company, did you, I know you said it was kind of a nightmare selling to that huge, that, that big uh, conglomerate that took it over, but um, did you and your business partner, like, did you guys make out really, really well? Was that it? No, no, no. Okay.
1: No. Like I said, this is this is where <laughs> this is. Yeah, it's a different podcast. It's actually a, a supplementary book to One Million Frogs. No, we we <laughs> we, we ended up. I mean, ugh, it's such a long story. We weren't in great financial situation when we when we exited. Um, we had uh, a, a significant issue with one of our major suppliers that kind of put us in the red for a while, and we started looking for capital. Um, Almost to rescue us, if you will. And we had the offer from a from a publicly traded company who basically traded a stock for our interest in the in the business. And they had a, a pretty big holdings. Um, but now that company is basically debunked there in all sorts of financial problems and we're stuck with worthless stock. So it was a good I mean, like again, it was a good learn. I don't regret it at all because I don't think we would have been able to get out of the I was ready to get out of the business. I was ready to move on. You know, you probably know how it is when a lot of the people you talk to, if you're an entrepreneur, you kind of get that itch every seven years. The seven, mine is about a five year itch. Uh, and I was ready to move on out of frogs. I was ready to move on to something else. And so it was an opportunity to sell. Um, we probably weren't gonna sell it for cash to anybody uh, significant. So this, these, this company offered us a, a stock in exchange. Uh, we stayed on for about a year to help manage and manage the transition, and then got out of it when they started having issues. But yeah, I mean, it's yeah. Again, it's not a regret I I have. I'm not driving on a yacht, unfortunately.
0: Uh, still, still driving the same
1: car <laughs> when I started the company eight years ago, nine years ago. <laughs> wow. Okay.
0: Uh, yeah. I mean, well, you know, not every not every business uh, like culminates in that way where the original founders leave. You know, with many 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 millions of dollars like that's this that's a grand illusion i think a lot of people have but you know the realization uh that you guys encountered is that that's not always the case and um you know it's cool though that you don't you don't regret it and it was it was a part of your life that was very significant and you know you'll you definitely learned a lot going through that right
1: yeah i think i think there's you're 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 kind of hitting on the nose i think most people look at entrepreneurship as, or entrepreneurs, are, are, as these people who start businesses and they're very successful. But I would say, I mean, the vast majority of entrepreneurs, the ones I've talked to, um, the ones you read about, you know, they've got way more failures than they do successes. Um, you know, in, <laughs> the, in, in the process of running Wild Creations, I had three businesses that failed. You know, while we were running that, we started a tequila company that failed. We started an online uh, Kickstarter campaign for toys that didn't go anywhere. We had a separate company for distribution of it was it, it, anyway. All of them, you know, failed. We couldn't get traction, and at one point, we just said, "All right, you know, it's not working. We need to close it down." So, yes, it's not about. I, I don't think people get into entrepreneurship because they want to get rich. They get into entrepreneurship because they want to make an impact, because they want to have a legacy, and it's not about it's not about making it rich. It's not about having the time, because it doesn't free you up of time. It actually controls your time. Um, But what it does is it gives you a sense of impact. It gives you a sense of accomplishment. You know, it's like building a building. When you are an architect, you get to drive down the street and go, I designed that, or I built that. And as an entrepreneur, you get to drive around and hear about things and say, I built that. (laughs) Um, You know, when you launch your Kickstarter campaign in September, you're going to be able to, you know, you've already built it, but, I mean, as you start building up the... Uh, the momentum behind, uh, was it Sobam, right? Sobam? Sobam products. products. You know, when you start building up, there's, there's an, an, there's an intrinsic reward that goes way beyond financial, that goes way beyond, uh, you know, the freedom that, that most people think it is. And you can't explain until you've done it. You until you get into it and you realize, wow, I'm not in it for the money. I'm in it because I want to grow something. And if you're not in it for that reason, then you probably shouldn't be in it because the chances of you getting rich and the, and are, are very slim, and you're not going to have time, more time. Then you're not gonna you you may be the man or the woman, you may be the one in charge, but you're not gonna have you're not gonna be the one who gets to take off weekends. Um, I have this thing, it's called the I, I I used to call it the entrepreneur's curse because the entrepreneur's curse is you always wish you had more. You're you're so involved with your business that. You wish you had more time, like you don 't have time to take vacations you you really don 't s- you get to a stage where you can sleep at night, but you 're always connected to the business you know you 're the final straw when something happens. so when your phone rings at ten p m on a Saturday night, you know something is going wrong, and probably very wrong enough that your people are calling you to tell you about it because nobody 's calling you at ten p m on a Saturday night to say, "Hey, boss, <laughs> everything 's going great. just wanted to let you know they 're calling you because there 's an emergency." And you, you cannot turn that off. You always have to be turned on. But on the f- flip side, when that phone doesn't ring and when things are quiet or when you have a week off, there's always that itch of like, why, why isn't anybody calling? Why do I have not enough business that I can take a week off? It's, it's just – it's this terror. It's this push and pull. And you get used to it. You, get, you learn to deal with it. And But – at the same time it it's this if you can't learn to deal with that push and pull of like I we, I need to be busy because that's what my business is and I want time to be able to do the things that I want to do personally, then it's 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 not a it's not a good pursuit for you. <laughs> uh
0: there's a couple things you described there that um that I could totally resonate with. One is that, right? It's the constant push pull you described, uh for sure. Um I love that by the way. I I, I actually love the I love being a fireman, like putting out fires. Um, I don't know why (laughs) it's like, it's counterintuitive to making progress. If you think about it, like at a bird's eye view, but I love putting out fires and I love having them to put out. And I also love, I love failures and I love when people say no to me. So, you know, just a quick example to, to put on this podcast and to have a different entrepreneur as an interviewee every single week, I have to reach out to, like four or five times the amount of people that I actually want to interview. And I get, no, 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 you're not big enough. I've gotten that a few times. Uh, we charge money, I've gotten that a few times. And I actually like <laughs> that, I do. I love it because I feel like I can turn that around in the future and it has it has uh, thickened up my skin a lot. And I, I consider myself thick-skinned anyway, but it got me to this point where I can just like, as soon as I hear no, it's like, boom, I immediately move forward and that has totally translated to business and I'm not sure which came first if it if I started to grow that in the business world or if I really started to grow that in the podcast world but they've uh they've joined together and it's it's like this this really hard outer shell and um and I know a lot of people who want to be entrepreneurs who are trying to do stuff but they want to stay so far in the background where they don't ever enter uh interface with like influences or influencers or um try to build relationships because they don't want to hear no. And they don't want to hear that someone's not interested in their thing. Uh, so what are your, what are your thoughts on that? Like being told no and being told that your stuff, you know, isn't, isn't, isn't good enough or something like that from, from like a young I, entrepreneur standpoint. Uh,
1: I I a hundred percent agree. I, I remember when one of the reasons why we did so well in the toy industry, because a, we, well, we weren't that wasn't our goal to get the toy industry. We kind of fell into that. But once we got into it, we did fairly well because we started distributing. And I remember conversations when – I mean we did more than the frogs. We got into about 100 to 200 different SKUs, different toys, different games, different – we started introducing all sorts of different toys. And, and it became apparent very early that we were going to have to manufacture outside the U.S. in order to make it – in order to be able to compete. And I remember having conversations with consultants who were trying to connect us to people in China. And I remember one guy in particular, he used to always say, oh, no, Pete, I'm sorry. That That's just not the way this market works. That's just not the way things are done in China. And it used to trip me nuts. And <laughs> yeah, I'd always feed off of that. And I'd go, F you, man. Like, no. <laughs> All right, fine. That's not the way. We are going to figure out a way to do it. And I hate when people tell me something is impossible because I'm going to try to figure out how to do it. And maybe you're right. Maybe you are right. But your conviction and is, your conviction that something isn't right, isn't the way it works, makes it, you're going to fail if you, if you go about it that way. So I 100% agree with you. I think the biggest, and you kind of hit it on the nose, is uh, the biggest thing that I see uh, through a lot of the young entrepreneurs is, is the fear of failure and this idea that people aren't going to uh, recover from failure. And, um, and, I'll, and I'll share a quick story with your listeners. I, I had just met re- this week, actually, with a, uh, with a professor at the university. We were talking about some other things, and she was telling him about entrepreneurship in Germany. She had done her PhD, done some studying on entrepreneurship in Germany. And she said, you know, the difference between, like, Germany and the U.S. when it comes to entrepreneurship, the reason there's no entrepreneurs in Germany is because once you fail, once, your name gets dragged through the mud, and there's a there's probably a very high possibility that you are not going to be able to start another business because they don't think you have what it takes because you failed. In fact, it could actually hurt your chances of getting a job with a regular company, because they look at that failure as a uh, as a failure. And so really? you know, it's, yeah, I know it's great. It's heartbreaking. And so and it's true because there aren't a lot of entrepreneurship's not real prominent in Germany, and it's because of that. And you think about it here in the U.S., not only. I mean, failure is actually looked upon, almost. I, I think, it as a badge of courage, uh, as like you tried, you failed. Um, there's a really, really good uh, documentary called Startup.com. You can actually watch the whole thing on YouTube. Um, one of the gentlemen I, uh, I had, had the opportunity to listen to speak, um, one of the co-founders of this early tech company, entrepreneur company back in like 1999 um tells a story of you know he got drafted by his friend he worked for Goldman Sachs, made a lot of money um they built up this company with hundreds of millions of dollars in investment and he remembers the time when he was in the conference room telling his investors that the company was going to fold and he tells a story he's like yeah i started crying um you know i was devastated we had 400 people out in the uh, office looking at us and i'm telling these investors that you know sorry all that money you invested in us, it it failed and we're going to close. And he, and he goes on to say like a, two weeks later or a month later, I don't remember how long it was later. This isn't in the documentary, but he's saying like about a month later, he gets this call from one of his major investors. And the investor says, listen, I got this opportunity. I want you to come and run. I want you to be the CEO of this brand new launch we've got, we've invested in. And he's just miffed. And he's like, how do you, why would you want me? I lost tens of millions of your investment. And the guy says, "Well, that's exactly why because you aren't going to make those same mistakes again. Like you're <laughs> you're seasoned. You understand what not to do and what and what to do next time." Um and I and I firmly believe that. If you haven't failed in entrepreneurship, then you haven't you haven't succeeded. Or how do you even know if you've succeeded if you never failed? So, um and another, you know, another side story, I heard a, a Warren Buffett tells this great story about uh, entrepreneurship. Um, again, I got an opportunity to hear him speak uh, while at Georgetown and he tells a story about uh, a guy who works for him or worked for him back when he was in Omaha. Um, young, vibrant, ambitious college student, graduate student. Uh, he gets he gets Warren Buffett's ear and he says, "Listen, I, I really want to work for you because I want to get experience. I want to learn how to do all this business stuff so that I can go on and, and start a business so you know will you hire me will you put me in your business, let me learn it." and Warren Buffett tells him he says listen why would you want if you're planning on starting a business if you're planning on being your own boss why would you come work for me why not go out there and do it think about it this way if you want to go out and if you want to go out and kiss a girl right are you going to read about it are you going <laughs> to ask your friends about it are you going to watch youtube videos about it no you're going to go out and you're going to kiss a girl and guess what the first time you kiss a girl it's going to suck it's going to be sloppy <laughs> it's going to be messy um, it's going to be embarrassing. And you know, probably the second time you kiss a girl, it's going to be bad too. But eventually you're going to be get very good at kissing the girl. But the only way you get good at doing it is by doing it. And guess what? You'll have fun while you're doing it. That was his, is his, his analogy. Um, although I will tell you his analogy wasn't kissing. It was actually having sex, but let's just, <laughs> and, but it was a great analogy. And I remember listening to that when I was in the audience going, that's exactly what I've done almost my entire career. I want to start a business someday, but all I keep doing is. Working for businesses, being in a consultant, going back to school to learn things. Uh, so um, – but it's true. I mean you 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 hit it right on the nose. If You have to have that drive, that desire and the willingness to understand that failure isn't such a bad thing. Um, and you're going to recover. Everybody recovers from failure. Even – Bankruptcy. Even if you even if you mutter the word bankruptcy to some people, they go, oh, no, 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 I would never do that. Well, you know, it's not – it's there for a reason. It's – you know, if things really, really got dire, it's – we have a great infrastructure to support entrepreneurs. And, you know, you're not going to have your – you're not going to go living on the street if you get uh, – you know, if you, if you lose your job. In fact, most cases, if you do it the right way, you can protect your assets. You can make sure that your kids have their college funds. Um, so yeah, it's, it, you, you hit it on the nose. It's, it's, if you can overcome that failure, that's where the, that's where, that's when success is going to come.
0: I love that. I absolutely love that. Yep. Uh, learn what not to do by failing. I mean, that's, uh, that was beautifully articulated. There's just, there's no other way to say it.
1: Oh, well, it's true. Like I, I, I sold a very nice company to a company up in, uh, I, I don't, I don't know how much I can disclose. So I'll just say it was, you know, it was a company, publicly traded company owned by several, uh, other people and it went to crap and I made nothing off of it. It's still in tied up in uh, litigation, but I'm telling you, I don't, I, I have no regrets because now I know right now I know not to do it that way again. <laughs> and, um, it, it sucks and it was a painful lesson, but you know, it's, it's, you're, you're, it, I'll even back up a little bit. I, I mentioned that we got into financial trouble Because we had a vendor kind of fall out uh, a couple of years after we were really hitting our stride. And part of it was we really over leveraged. We were doing well, but we decided to expand into several hundred different SKUs. We bought a bunch of inventory. We opened an office in California, all of which, and this isn't to pin blame, but this, because there is no blame to be pinned. But, you know, this was my business partner's ambition of like, let's become a global toy company. And I was like, yeah, all right. I don't know how we're going to do it, but we seem to have done it already. We did it with Brookstone. We managed to pull this off. So, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Looking back on that, it was probably a really bad decision. Um, we overleveraged. Uh, it. We didn't plan ahead of time. You know, we we didn't put enough thought into it before we actually launched it. It was almost seat of the pants, uh, a seat of the pants decision. But I don't regret it because if we hadn't done it, I would always wonder what if. What if we didn't, what if we did do it? You know, we're in the situation now because we did things, we learned from them and we're better people because of it.
0: Do you think that if you scaled that a little slower, like, you know, maybe just stayed local to the United States maybe for a while and then did that for a few years and then built it up slowly, do you think that that would have gone completely differently, like for the better?
1: So there's there's the what if. I don't know. I don't right. I try not to look at the what ifs because you can't. You can't look at the what ifs. We did what we did and you know when, when I look back and I say like I know now I know it was about it. It wasn't it wasn't it was it was a good idea. It was just poorly implemented. And now I know how if we were to if we were to do it again, I'd probably still do it, but I would have done it differently. I would have negotiated different terms. Right. I would have uh, probably not leveraged or bought as much inventory as we had. Right away, you know, we had a lot of people willing to advance us lines of credit for the product we were buying, and we just went, "Wow, that's great, thanks." <laughs> but then, you know, three months later, when the bill came and we hadn't sold anything or we weren't ready to sell, it was like, "Oh, geez, that probably wasn't the wisest idea." <laughs> you know, something that, yeah. So I know I don't know if you do what ifs, you're gonna fall into this horrible cycle of. Those are the things that keep you awake at night. Those are the things when you lay in bed and you, go, God, what if I had done this or, yeah, yeah, geez, why did I do that instead of this? Nah, nah. I mean, once you get into that, then you, no, nah, you, you, you go to sleep at night thinking, okay, I've made the right decision. Tomorrow I'm going to make
0: better decisions. Right, yeah. just own it, right?
1: You just own it, yeah. yeah. You own
0: it. Um, so you have two kids. I do, right? kids. Um, ages six and eleven. Yes. Right. So that's uh, that's pretty cool. I can kind of resonate with the younger one. My son's about to turn six in about a month. Mm-hmm. Um, what's it like being an entrepreneur an author, having two kids kind of looking at you as a role model, you know, whether, whether they know it or not, you know, they're looking up to you and you're not, you're not living a conventional lifestyle, going to an office nine to five, that kind of thing. Um, what, what's it kind of like being in that position?
1: Well, I don't, I I don't think they're old enough to, to fully understand. Um, you know, since, Mm -hmm. since exiting the business Three years ago, I started teaching at a university. I got really lucky and I landed some some adjunct position at a at a university. So it keeps me bus- it keeps me busy, pays the bills, um, allows me a lot of free time. Like this summer, you know, so I can work on consulting type of stuff. So as far as they know, I'm a professor. Uh, my youngest is too young to remember the 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 stress and the anxiety of wild creations and the oldest remembers i used to be the boss at a toy company and still points out when we when we drive by the office um, i we, we don't really talk about it i try to encourage that entrepreneurial spirit uh, my youngest has it 6 6 years old and she ha- we built a uh, a little stand out of a cardboard refrigeration box that she puts out on the front driveway sits out there with just random stuff that she finds and sells it to all of our sucker neighbors who are willing to give her a dollar for it and I love that you know so she's learning she's already thinking about entrepreneurship my son not nah, he doesn't have he not yet he doesn't have that bone and I think that's a that's a boy girl thing I don't know I this is I don't know if that's the right thing to say if that's politically correct but I've heard uh, girls mature much faster than boys and based off of the people that I know and the guys that I grew up with, that's probably a hundred percent correct uh, <laughs> off of my small sample size. So, you know, so I'm, I'm not pushing him too hard, but I, I, I think, I think entrepreneurial skills are skills that everybody should learn. You know, the basic understanding of business, the basic understanding of selling things, the basic understanding of uh cost benefit analysis that you have to, make more money than you spend in order to survive. You know, these aren't these aren't complex. This isn't rocket science. And I think everybody needs to have that entrepreneur those entrepreneurial skills. And looking forward the way businesses, especially large corporations, I mean they're looking for entrepreneurial ambition. Most most big companies are looking for people who have that entrepreneurial background, who are willing to go out there and take responsibility you know step up to the bat and say listen I'm responsible for this give me the responsibility take responsibility for their failures be willing to think outside the box i hate that cliche but you know willing to get into a, a department say or challenge the that's just the way things done mentality like the ones that come in and go why how come nobody's thought of doing it this way right. you know and those are the skills i think young people, young kids need in order to, cause I think the next generation of, you know, past the millennials, I don't know what they're called. Uh, the next oh, generation. Well, I don't have, have a to, name yet. <laughs> I don't think they, yeah, I mean, we'll just coin it here and then you can trademark it. We'll call it the uh, digital, nat- digital natives. is already. Love taken, it. But digital natives. Uh, But anyway, yeah, so they, so they're, the, business is going to be completely transformed the next 10 years. I mean, we're already seeing it right. The way, uh, businesses deliver retail is dying. Um, you know the move toward uh you know more uh, technology based uh companies uh, the way the, the mentality the mentality of like you know w- you know my parents and probably your parents grew up in that generation of you know you need to go to school you need to learn a trade and you need you need to work in the same company for your entire life my dad did that i'm not sure if your dad did yep 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 so he worked the same company retired from uh, western union um then he became an entrepreneur started his own uh sewing machine sewing machine and vacuum repair company. But you know, I still worked the same company. And I think our generation, are you X gen?
0: I am technically a millennial if you go by okay. the Wikipedia definition.
1: Okay. All right. So you're probably early millennial, late X gen. Right. And that generation of people were expected to go to school, learn a trade, work in the same company and and none of us did, right? We ventured out, we had a job and then we quit four years later. Yeah. Or quit a year later. We went back to school, we tried something else. I mean, you're trying something else. Um, and you know, you're starting your own business. I think I think, you know, in previous times it was that, you know, our the generation before us, that was unheard of. And so the next generation of kids, the millennials, late millennials, and the generation after them, nobody's going to expect them to be loyal to a company. We're gonna expect that they're probably going to quit and they're probably gonna move on to other businesses. There's gonna be ambitions, they're gonna have opportunities that we didn't have and i think that that's um mentality of having the skills to be able to adapt to be able to say listen okay i've i've been in sales for the last 3 or 4 years it's not working out for me and i need to be able to go into another skill set or learn another skill set or go into a business that's willing to teach me another skill set and be able to do that entrepreneurs do that every day but you know, if you're stuck in sales and you become that salesperson and you don't have that ability to, to adapt. And I think that's what kids need.
0: I totally agree. Yeah. Um, yeah. My, my dad was my biggest role model growing up and he's been a software engineer for as long as I can remember. And I remember when I was a kid, I think I was about 11. Um, he was like ridiculously close to starting his own business with a friend of his And I think there was a complication in the funding and that was like their first hiccup and he bounced and you know, so I don't think he was comfortable taking that risk. So like, Mm -hmm. you know, if you want to call it like a, I don't know, an entrepreneurial like gene or whatever, he didn't have it right. He wasn't, he wasn't all in on it. Um, you know, I am so, but I can also remember when I was, um, nine, 10, 11 years old, there was a general store at my bus stop and I would go into the general store and buy airheads. You know that candy airheads. Right. Right. And I would get like five for a dollar and then I'd get on the bus and I'd sell them for a buck a piece, you know? So like (laughs) (laughs) I can remember that kind of thing. Yeah. And, um, and, but, but yeah, it's, uh, it's weird. Like following the traditional path, it was always something I was kind of like told I had to do not forced, but told that, you know, this is the right way to do it. Anything else should be secondary. Um, set up a primary career path first, and then everything else you can fall back on or whatever. Um, And I, you know, I guess there's some logic to that, but, but going forward, I think that like you described learning other things constantly, continuously growing and developing and not being stuck in sales or stuck in like marketing or stuck in graphic design or something. Uh, it it gives you the, all these other options. And as like from a parent standpoint, I don't, I don't think I want my son Going all in on just one thing and like pigeonholing himself, you right. know. Mm-hmm. So I would love to see yeah, it, him it, explore. And I, <laughs> yeah,
1: and I would. Yeah, it, it, and gosh, like I said, I, I, t- you know, I teach a one, I teach an intro to business class. It's actually my favorite class to teach. Uh, Ten or fifteen percent are actually engaged. The other ninety-five or eighty-five percent are there because they have to take it as a prerequisite. But the fifteen or so that are really engaged, um, and I, you know, it, obviously as part of the business. Curriculum I teach about entrepreneurship and I always really emphasize the skill set, not the actual act of becoming an entrepreneur, but the skill set. Um, and I think I, you know, and, and I always get people to say, well, what's wrong with working for the same company for your entire lives? And you know what, there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with there. I mean, there, you, you mentioned it a second ago with the entrepreneurial gene. Um, my business partner and I argue that all the time, I believe you can teach entrepreneurship but not teach, teach, but you can learn entrepreneurship. He's a firm believer you have it or you don't have it. Um, and we would several debates over beers at bars, you know, going back and forth, uh, about this. But, you know, I do believe that entrepreneurship isn't for everybody. It's not a matter of having the gene or not. You know, some people just are happy and content. Working for somebody else, and there is nothing wrong with that. There, there is a huge need for that. Um, Not everybody's going to get into tech and be Mark Zuckerberg. You know, we're going to need people to run uh, the the auto dealership down in the corner, and we're going to need people to run haircut places and salons. We need those people, and those people, if if if, and again, it comes down to that entrepreneurial mindset. If you're smart and you know you see a need in the marketplace, you're going to go to those companies that you know are going to be there for a while. So. I, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. It's like I don't want. It, it's a challenge, right? Like you've got uh, you're your six year old. How do you put that in their head? It's like how do you like what what, what do you do because you're you're you've got your company, you know. You're working full time. So what do you tell your kids?
0: <laughs> That's kids,
1: I'm sorry, you're one kid. You're,
0: you're uh, yeah, I have one son. Um, so he's you know, he's totally involved in the process. So, you know, I'm working with uh, multiple suppliers, and I have like zippers and fabrics and things coming in from all over the world in big boxes. And you know, it starts with the box having like Chinese lettering on it and you know, opening them up and showing it to them and say, Hey, this is, this is for a bag that I'm designing and I'm going to work with these guys across the world. I'm telling them how to build it. They're going to build it. They're going to send it back. I'm going to make these changes and I'm, and and I'll hand it to them and I'll say, what do you think? You know? And like, just, just like that. And, he, does and then he
1: says, dad, can I have another bowl of cheesy booze? <laughs>
0: yeah. I mean, he's not, he's not very engaged <laughs> in the whole thing, but it's there. And I know, yeah. you know, by five, six, the memories start to lock in pretty good. Yeah. So he'll, he'll remember that, you know? And, um, and then as we get closer to to launching and then going through the inevitable you know, amount of, of obstacles that are going to be coming up, um, you know, he'll be, he'll be seeing that firsthand. Um, but, you know, I don't, I don't think you can just, you guys, you were talking about a little bit with, you know, the way you were talking about with your partner. I don't know if you can teach it either. Um, I, I don't, uh, I don't, I can't, I can't be like, you know, Nostradamus, you know, like I'm going to tell you this stuff now and you're going to be a great entrepreneur, you know, later. Um, I, I, I don't, I kind of, I kind of believe that you have like at least a part of it you have or you don't have at least, a, okay. at least a well, little bit. Well, I mean,
1: I, I, and, and I, I, I don't. Disagree that you can't. You can't teach it. I 100% agree that you can't sit down in a classroom and say, "Okay, guys, here's the 10 skills you need to be an entrepreneur," and then here are the the challenges. You can't. You can't do that. The only way you learn is by doing it. And you know, something we're trying to do at the university right now is is because I don't just take this job. I'm like, I I, I saw a challenge, and we're implementing an experiential organ uh, a consulting practicum at the university. So we take students as part of a program that I uh, have managed for the last two years and give them some very basic business consulting skills. And then we put them in front of real business people. And I say, go, you're going to come to these meetings. You're going to run these meetings. You're going to get down to the base business issues and you're going to go research it and give them recommendations to improve their business. You know, that's consulting, but that's basically what entrepreneurs do, right? We get into a business, we see a challenge and we figure out, we figure it out. Right. And, you can, I mean, you can. I think with enough experience, you can learn that. And and I only, in, in my basis behind this is I wasn't an. I don't think looking back, I wasn't an entrepreneur before I started the business. You know, I was in corporate America. I was the type of guy that you know. When we launched our business, I had a business plan. I had you know things are going to happen A, B, C, or D. Uh, I always tell this. I tell the story in the book about like week one, we had an issue and I had a nervous breakdown because it didn't go along with my plan, <laughs> and. You know but we learned it I learned I eventually figured out that hey, you know what it's it's not that hard it's you're not gonna, I mean a failure is not bad, it's about keeping your words, it's about negotiating um, and then again, my business partner will always point at the fact he's like, well, yeah, but you probably had that in you the whole time, so it is in your genes see you can't you didn't learn it it was there you just needed to pull it out and fine, I get it All right whatever you know <laughs> yeah. semantics, I get it, but um no yeah if you like you selling. Airheads at, in your school bus, right there tells you right there, you have the gene, right? You don't need to bring it out. It's there. It's just a matter of getting it launched, you know, just getting it out of your system and putting it into the real world. So I, I, I do say that to a lot of the students. I say, if you, if you have that inclination of like what a real entrepreneur does, which is find a need, figure out how you add value to the universe and figure out how to charge for that value then you're an entrepreneur like my son doesn't have it yet he doesn't figure that out he hasn't figured out the how to add value my daughter does she knows like if i sit on the the front porch and i sell these shells i just picked up out of our backyard for a dollar i'm adding value to somebody's life and i'm making a dollar off it god bless her you know <laughs> um i'm i'm with you with like, i'm trying to get my 11 year old t- to grab onto that to understand the concept of entrepreneurship and you're, you know what maybe to a certain extent he's not he doesn't have the gene But I'm still going to stick with it. I still, I'm going to, I'm not going to push him that way, but I'm going to encourage him to think like an entrepreneur.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. And even if, you know, even if like, I don't care if my son starts his own business or not, but um, there is that one component that goes along with that, which is like, you know, strong work ethic that can be Mm -hmm. applied anywhere that I think you can teach, right? Yes. That I think can be learned for sure. And uh, to me, you know, I guess that's more important at the end of the day, right?
1: Yeah. And they see it through you. They see watching you open those boxes, staying up late at night, making those calls, you know, uh, sweating it out, you know, in the back room on your days off. Like they, they see that and they make a mental note of it and that's all we can do.
0: Yep. Um, all right. So I just have a couple more questions. Um, for now, anyway, this has been an awesome conversation. (laughs) I'd love to have you back on the show sometime. Uh, but, uh, and, and I I don't want to get too weird here, but what are your thoughts on mindset Positivity, overcoming obstacles, stuff like that. Do you feel that that people who aren't succeeding need to drive out, you know, negativity and disbelief in themselves, or you know, like, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Oh boy, well, that's a good question. Um, I mean, yes, yes, I do. I, 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 I believe that. In the last five, six years, I've become a big proponent of meditation, and not meditation as in the form of sitting cross-legged. And listening to running water and humming to myself but taking 10 15 20 minutes every day to just clear your brain right just to turn it off um and it, it was hard at first uh, there's apps of course that can help you do it but you know i find um that i've become a lot more positive i was very i think i was very negative at the beginning which is probably what led to my stress and anxiety uh at the beginning of the at the beginning of the business but um and it kind of goes back. It, it's it's more of a personal challenge, but I do believe that you, if you tell yourself you can't do something, if you're locked in the negative, then you're not going to do it, right? My business partner was great because he's the type of guy that's we're gonna sit across from somebody. He's going, yeah, we can do that, and it would drive me nuts because then we would, you know, it it really had to figure out how to do it. But he was always the positive guy and he rubbed off on me, you know, luckily more than I rubbed off on him. So, yeah, I absolutely believe that if you if you don't believe you can do something, then you're not going to do it. You have to go about it thinking that your end game, that there's there's something at the end end of the first street that you're shooting for and that's what you're going to go for which comes back to like why why i don't play the what if game because if you play the what if game you're going to get in a vicious cycle of regret and wondering what should have happened um you think about what what you want to accomplish but yeah positivity and i think i heard on your last podcast talking about surrounding you you mentioned getting the people out of your life that really are toxic the poisonous people um and that is something i have learned also to do and, and is absolutely important to do. I mean, I mean it's not all about just having everybody around you telling you how awesome you are. It's about people that challenge you, right? People that say, "All right, man, you're you're sucking right now, but you're going to be fine. Let's talk about like why 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 are things going so bad?" Like, you know, as opposed to the people that are telling you, "Oh, that's not the way things are done." Um, you know, you're you're yeah, i i i do believe that there's there's a big uh, proponent of being positive. You know, you, you mentioned your dad, like my dad's one of those guys He never complains about anything, anything the guys, 85 years old. And for as long as I've known him, he's never complained about his work, about his money situation, about this or that. Like every time he talked to him, he's like, Hey, happy, go lucky. And I'm like, <laughs> how, why can I not be like, that? like, why do I, you know, why do I complain about certain things? So I've gotten better at that. And, but yeah, it, it has a big impact. I think not only on you, but it has an impact on everybody around you. And you know, you've got a wife, I'm guessing you're positive cause you've been married for what, like a decade now. And that doesn't happen if you're a negative person. Well, I mean, I guess it does, I guess it, I, it does. I know all sorts of crazy, unhappy couples, but um, you know, I think when you, when you get those toxic people out of your life, you become more positive and therefore you rub off on other people too. It's very spiritual, but you know, different.
0: <laughs> different conversation oh yeah yeah no i'm I'm really big on positivity and keeping positive energy around and you know it's when you know i say that people look at you like you know dude you're you're like way way out there with that stuff and it's it's not like that it's just you know you do have a choice right you you, you can you can have a a lot of negative thoughts so you can you can choose to look at things you know for lack of a better term you know it's <laughs> going down the same pattern He's in a cliche is like you can look at everything half full right you can do that and uh and I choose to do that and that has completely changed my my life that's a few years now but uh um, I think it's also the reason I asked that question is because I think it's I think it's big personally I think it's big in business um even if you look at a huge challenge or a huge setback in a way where it's opportunistic for you to do something to change that and and maybe you know benefit as a result like that whole thinking of something that way, it, it just it it turns the tables so much mentally, so that you can stay in the game, and it usually does turn out okay, right? Yeah,
1: you know what, you you, you probably don't have time to do it now, but you that I, I if you have a podcast on this, I'm going to go back and listen to it. But uh, they, there you probably have listeners going, oh yeah, that's great. Yeah, go burn a candle, burn some <laughs> incense. Good for you. But I 100% agree. Like I was not a happy guy when we started our business. It took a lot – being becoming positive and learning to sleep at night and learning to deal with the challenges of entrepreneurship, those take practice. I mean it takes practice to be able to turn things off. Like, It does. Here's something I, disco- here's something I discovered literally in the last like year, year and a half is how much sleep – plays a part in my life you know i was the type of guy who i was i was proud of the fact that i could go four or five hours of sleep at night um and be able to function and be really high you know high, highly productive but the thing is i was never happy like i was always tired and stressful and ever since my wife introduced me to the idea of like maybe you should sleep seven eight hours a night because <laughs> that's good for you and now i sleep seven eight hours a night i make it a habit of making sure that i can get up or you know i go to bed early sometimes and that I'm on that sleep schedule I mean I'm telling you just a huge difference in my attitude and my uh, my positivity I, when I'm tired I am grouchy as hell <laughs> I am almost unbearable to be with if I have gone three or four days without getting a lot of sleep I know that now and I'm going wow that's probably was my problem before but it takes practice your listeners should understand like if they're in that if they're in that negativity, phase where they're they're telling themselves oh they're having regrets or they're having doubts of whether they can do it um literally having saying positive things to yourself taking 10 minutes out of your time day to just sit in quiet unattached to your phone or having anything in the background and just letting your mind quiet itself fine use incense and candles if you want but you know that does help so i mean i would love to hear about how you learned how to ca- cope with it because i've never really thought about how I, how I eventually got to it, but I would love to learn more practices of how to do that, you know, uh, how to become better at that.
0: <laughs> I think uh, maybe we should have another episode just on that. Yeah. Um, it is, it is a pivotal part of my life in business and family stuff. And I think please I'm, do one, please yeah. do
1: one. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you're going to have listeners out there go, that's a bunch of hogwash, but they're going <laughs> to listen to it. They're going to listen to it. Cause they're going to go, yeah, you're right. I'm kind of being tired of being a a Grouch trying to <laughs> be unbearable. Maybe there's some things I can do to help myself snap out of it and it's very mental It's very mental.
0: I love it. All right, man. We're gonna have to do that Um, Cool, all right, so listen, I just have one more question and um, It's in a in a way a two-part question um, but I want you to imagine for a second that you're giving a keynote right huge group of people half are young entrepreneurs and The other half are startup founders and they may or may not be young doesn't matter it's the end of your keynote, right? It's wrapping up. These people are looking up to you. They want like one last piece of parting advice that can help them get out of their own way, make huge things happen for you know for themselves. What do you tell them? Oh,
1: God, it's so funny. I knew you were going to ask me that. <laughs> uh, I did. I did. I was. I was sitting here planning out what our talk was going to be like. He's probably going to ask me like for a parting piece of advice, and and I wrote down a few. And there's so many, and I'm sure you know. My business partner had this joke, you know, if you ask 10 entrepreneurs about what it takes to succeed, you'll get 20 different stories. (laughs) Like, it's true. It's true. Um, And everybody's different. Everybody's, I'm, I am a, I'm a painful introvert who understands what it's like to go out and have to mingle. But, you know, introverts have different goals and extroverts and, you know, different backgrounds. The only thing, the only thing, I mean, if I was going to leave a parting, one parting thing aside from don't feel failure, don't feel, uh, feel, uh, Don't fear failure, Uh, get yourself a mentor, blah, 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 blah. The one thing I would say, which has worked for me in the past, is like write down your goals, like write down what it is you want to accomplish in, um, you know, when I, when I mentor students, I mentor them. We do this uh, uh, personal action plan and everybody, again, everybody thinks it's kind of hogwash. You know, I don't know what I'm going to be doing in, in five years from now. That's fine. You don't have to, this isn't concrete. This is write down your goal. Because if you don't have a goal, if you don't, if you don't have it written down um, and it's clear and it's concise and it's measurable, meaning I know in one year if I haven't met this goal, I'm not working toward my, my – you know, what I want to accomplish, um, then a lot of you, – you, you just fly out there by yourself. And, and the best way I, I, I use this as an analogy is you know I, I like to run. Um, actually, I hate to run, but I, I like the feeling of running and I like the uh, feeling fit. But if I don't have, if I'm not shooting for a race day, if I'm not shooting for a 10K in September, then I wake up in the morning and I go, yeah, maybe I'll skip today's run. But if I have a goal, then I know I got to get out of bed and I know I got to run my three miles and get it out of, you know, just get conditioned. And it's the same way in life. It's the same way in business. If you don't know where you're going, then there's no possible way you know what roads to choose when they come ahead of you. So, um, and that's not to say that you're gonna, again, pigeon your, pigeon tell yourself into a corner. You know, if great opportunities come up, then you relook at your plan and go, how can this fit into my plan? And so, yeah, I tell I tell all students because very few people like run into, have written down goals, really know what they want to accomplish one year from now, two years from now, five years from now, you know, and it doesn't have to be have a job in a major corporation. It can be have enough money for my kids to go to school so that I can finally start saving my own money, whatever that is, just have a goal so that everything that you do pushes you toward that goal. When you wake up in the morning, you say, if I don't get up this morning, I'm one day behind meeting that goal a year from now. You know, I got to get out of bed this morning and do this X, Y, Z, you know, and I get out of the way and then I can go back to sleep, you know? So I think, I think having goals and writing them down, um, I hear a lot of people say that and it's one of those tips that I think a lot of people talk about, but I just don't think a lot of people do it. Um, I think a lot of people sit down with a piece of paper and they'll start writing down goals and go, well, this is stupid. Like, I, I don't know what I'm writing <laughs> and then they give up or they write it down and they never look at it again. Um, You know, I think you need to write it down and understand like, you know, if, if in short term too, three months, six months, if if six months from now, I haven't, um, you've got your Kickstarter launching in September, right? So you know that you better have some product and you better have your video done and that you better have, you know, you've got to start three months early to start getting your email lists going and driving up the content, the visibility. So that's what wakes you up in the morning. If I don't do that today, then my Kickstarter campaign in September is not going to be successful. So... You know that's a goal that you've set short term, and then long term you've got other things. So you write those goals down, look at them often, revise them often. Not every year. Um, I literally do mine almost every week. Sometimes every push it off two weeks. But um, and honest, in quite honest, I don't have I don't have any goals right now. I don't have any short term goals because I haven't figured out what I want to do after Wild Creations. But my goals are part of my goals are by net you know by start of school year next year, I want to figure out what I'm going to do. Am I going to stick in academia or am I going to get out more than likely I'm going to get back out and try to start another business. But, um, yeah, writing those down are absolutely crucial to be able to get to where you want to be.
0: I love it, man. <laughs> Dude, do. That was awesome. A lot of insight there. Um, so listen, um, uh, and before we wrap this up, I, uh, how can people get in touch with you? What's the best way?
1: Well, if, um, I, I, I have my website, which is www.petergasca.com, P-E-T-E-R-G-A-S-C-A. Uh, it's one of those things I always encourage everybody to have is their own URL. It's not a vanity thing. It's just that you know, you want to own your online reputation and your online brand. And one of the ways to do that is have a website. And there's nothing there at the website except for other contact information. So um, yeah, if they want to reach me there, there's a link to uh, the book, um, I, we, my, again, my business partner and I did write a book about our experience with wild creations. Um, it's, I personally, because I wrote it, I think it's a good read, but if you are an entrepreneur and you have questions or doubts about what it's like to be, or if you are just getting started and you're going, I don't know if I made the right decision, this book is meant to be validation. We go through the first three years of our business and talk about the trials and tribulations, the cr- absolutely crazy stories that no one would believe would actually happen to a business. We still can't believe they happened to us, but you know, we put them in the book because we want other entrepreneurs to know that once you start a business and uh, you know, that phone rings at 10 o'clock at night on a Saturday night and you go, God, does, does this happen to everybody? And the answer is yes. You know, you hire bad people, you make terrible decisions, you have, things fall on top of people, it happens, you know, and because you're at the top of the pyramid in in your business, you are the one making those decisions. And it happens to everybody. But guess what? Everybody recovers. Everybody comes back. And um, we have a a saying that, you know, everything in life is negotiable. So regardless of what happens to you and in your business, there's always a way to get out of it. So you can't let that be the fear of starting.
0: That's awesome, Peter. Listen, man, thank you so much for jumping on the podcast. This was awesome, and I have no doubt that the audience is gonna get a ton of value out of this. And also, uh, just having this chat with you, man, I, I, I see so many avenues for us to reconnect in the future and maybe have you back on the podcast another time.
1: Gordon, thank you so much. And I, 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 I'm I, gonna tell you right now, I'm gonna be watching the success of uh, Sobum because I'm very excited for you also. <laughs> I love watching the the progression. And so if anything, just know that there's one person out there. So when you wake up in that morning, you're like, oh, I'm not sure if, if I did. There's one person out there not let. I'm, I'm, I'm behind you. Okay? So I think, it's a, I think it's a great entrepreneur endeavor. It's awesome that you're getting the wind underneath your wings at this point. And I would definitely love to reconnect in the future.
0: Oh, man, I really appreciate all that. I really, really do. That means a lot to me. Cool. Um, so anyway, thanks again, man. And, uh, and I will talk to you very, very soon. All right. Thanks, Gordon. All right. Bye, Peter. I hope you guys like that interview with Peter. I, I love talking to the guy. He was really cool. And uh, we ended up talking a little bit before the interview and after the interview. And I got to know him a little bit more, uh, like, just beyond the, the stuff that we talked about in the interview. And he's, he's a really genuine guy all around. Um, and, you know, I got a lot of insight out of listening to him. I think he has a a realistic story, a, realist, a realistic element that he brings that I think a lot of people overlook. And that is that entrepreneurship is hard. Right, entrepreneurship is not easy. I've had plenty of people on the show that talk about becoming a millionaire, you know, valuation-wise. Anyway, within a year or two, and that is cool. You know, that's great. I, I I couldn't be happier for them. But it's not that simple for everybody. It's not that simple for every business model. Some people are passionate about things that aren't necessarily like the current trend, right? So like frog aquariums is one of them. And I admire Peter and his his business partner for going into that that business and doing everything that they did and, um, and, and learning everything that they learned and kind of impacting the industry the way that they did so it's really cool he's a, he's a big inspiration of mine so uh, do yourself a favor and check out Peter at his website petergasco.com read his book one million frogs and you can find ways of getting in touch with Peter in the show notes of this episode uh, so also if you could it would really mean a lot to me to please share this episode and the podcast with one person in your life who you think would get value out of it that would really mean to the world to me And if you haven't subscribed yet, please do so on iTunes and leave us a review. Totally unbiased. I really want your opinion, what you like, what you don't like, uh, and all that stuff can be done on iTunes. I really, really appreciate it. It means so much to me. So thank you very much again, and I will talk to you guys in the next episode. Take care.